Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Aaron Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Aaron interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA Today. There's nothing Erin is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Erin Peterson. Welcome to episode 33 of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. A quick show of hands, if you are a TA leader or an aspiring TA leader who started your career as an engineer. Well, aside from the fact that I can't actually see you, I'm guessing that not many hands were raised. It's pretty rare. And that is the background that Tina McKinney brings to the table gives her a very unique data-driven perspective on TA that you won't want to miss. But first, a thousand thanks to my sponsors, the Association of Talent Acquisition Professionals, or ATAP, and the Recruitment Process Outsourcing Association, or RPOA. Such great longtime partners of the Big Fish podcast, and both well worth joining if you haven't already. To connect with all the best practices in RPO, go to rpoassociation.org. And to be part of the Global Corporate TA Network, visit atapglobal.org. And, spoiler alert, we have a new sponsor you'll hear from midway through the episode, Paradox. You know, the people with the chatty AI conversationalist, Olivia. But first, on to Tina McKinney, Head of Talent Acquisition for Startup OS National. Enjoy! Hi, everyone, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool. I'm really excited today to be here with Tina McKinney of OS National. First of all, Tina, say hi to my listeners. Hello. I'm so happy to be here, Erin. I, I really appreciate the, the invitation to talk today about my journey and you know my role with, with OS National. Thank you. And what a journey it's been. So I think uh, listeners are in for a treat. First of all, let's just talk about the scope of your current role. So who are you and what do you do? And then we'll talk a little bit about what that really means on a day-to-day basis. So currently I am in the role of Director of Talent Acquisition for OS National. We are a premier uh, title and escrow services firm based out of Duluth, Georgia, We have a few different locations uh, across the U.S. Again, in Duluth, we've got two locations in Texas, in Plano, Texas, and Houston, Texas. And then we've got a location in Tempe, Arizona, and some folks in, in Las Vegas, Nevada as well. We are sitting on about 240 plus employees right now and expecting to almost double in size by the end of this year. We are actively hiring across the board, across the organization. So it is very uh, exciting times at OS National right now. We have also recently opened up to hiring remote employees for some very key positions within the company. Oh, exciting. Okay. So did COVID do that? COVID encouraged it. Yes. <laughs> we were we were going down the path of potentially doing more remote hiring just because of the limited talent pool. But then certainly with COVID-19, we had to expedite the process for getting people uh, working remotely. And once we went remote, we realized that we could certainly make it work and be productive at the same time. And I think that's, you're right in step with a bunch of other companies 
finding those same things. And the OS National Story is a really interesting one. Talk about that a little bit. It's a founder-led startup, but has recently been acquired by uh, another really big startup in the industry. So, so say a little bit more about their mission. Sure. So you're correct, Aaron. We were founded by two attorneys out of a local law firm here in Atlanta, and we were recently acquired by Open Door. I shouldn't say recently. Actually, now it's been over a year. So September 2019, it seems recently. Uh, we are still going down the path and figuring out what makes sense for us to synergize in terms of our processes. But yeah, Yes, that acquisition took place in September 2019. And then um, a couple of months ago, I'm sure if uh, your listeners have heard of Open Door, they've also noticed that Open Door went public. So we are now a public traded company um, that is Open Door. OSN is still a wholly owned subsidiary of Open Door, but we proudly say that uh, Open Door is our parent company. And Open Door is one of those disruptive. Right. So they're disrupting the whole home buying and selling market. Can you describe a little bit about that? Yeah. So we do the title and escrow services for Open Door. Open Door is a significant piece of our business, but we also have many other residential and commercial clients as well, Erin. Um, but absolutely, Open Door is doing big things in the market. We are experiencing growth as Open Door is experiencing growth. And so hence the reason why if, if any of your listeners take a look at our website, you'll see that our, our, our careers page continues to grow with all of the positions that we are recruiting for. Any of us who have purchased or sold a home know that you have to get your, your title reviewed you know, there's that kind of, I don't know, super secret process that nobody even knows what's happening, but you have to pay for it and it has to be done and you have to sign all the papers or at least see the results at the closing. What you're doing is um, all of that electronically, right? There's, it's a, a hyper fast approach that uh, digitizes the whole process, makes it better, faster, cheaper, right? And um, and and yet you still need the very rare skill sets that you find in curators, closers, examiners. Okay, so talk about how difficult that is to find the talent that pretty much exists in the the pre-disrupted version of your industry. Yeah. <laughs> but you need to bring them over and work in the disruptor for the industry. Exactly. So the, the the closures in some markets, they're called closers, some markets escrow officers, um, title curatives, title examiners. Those are the three primary roles that we recruit for at OSN. Um, but then, of course, we have so many other positions, so I don't want to minimize the importance of those positions. But I will say that the escrow officers, title curatives, title examiners are the three key roles that we absolutely recruit for quite frequently. It is a very tight, small industry, um, Aaron. So we're competing against some pretty major players in the market. The way 
that we utilize our folks at OSN is slightly different. So while you may be an escrow officer for one company, when you come to OSN, we're really focused on the customer service piece of that role. So while we're looking for folks with the right skill set, we're also looking for people that understand what it means to have a great customer experience. Um, And we're looking for that right in all of our employees, but for those three roles, especially the escrow officer is really, really key that you understand the connection between the work that you're doing, right? And also that relationship and the work that you're doing for for the customer. Right. And uh, I know that that empathy and focus on the customer and creating a great experience, that those values flow directly from your co-owners, your your founders, right? Absolutely. Yes, it is. Uh, it is really important to the, the leaders of our company that, uh, you know, we hire people who are who are kind and, you know, again, who understand what it means to help people that are making probably their the, the most major purchase they'll make in their entire life. And so they are very involved and very engaged in, in everything that we do at OSN. Of course, pre-COVID, uh, it was nothing to see one of them in the hallway. And I could guarantee you they, they knew you by name. Okay, well, let's shift the focus now away from the current role that you have. And I'd love for you to walk our uh, listeners through your background. You started your career with Lockheed Martin, correct? And uh, I think as an industrial engineer. So you're you're not a recruiter from the word go. You spend a little bit of time in the IE world. Tell us about that. I did. I did. So I, a few of my partners in crime and in, in the industry, we always laugh about you know, none of us went to school to be recruiters or even, you know, work in the TA space. You don't grow up saying, I want to be a recruiter. At least typically you don't. Um, TA typically finds you, but I did. I went to school to be an industrial engineer. And uh, for those of you who are familiar with industrial engineers, we are trained to be able to function in just about any capacity in a business. Um, Very unlike some of the more skillful, if you will, engineers, chemical engineers, mechanical engineers, industrial engineers, we get the right mix of business discipline as well as the technical discipline when you're in school, right, studying engineering. Uh, For me, when I came out of school, I went into an operations management program, leadership development program with Lockheed Martin. And had the opportunity, Aaron, didn't really know what I wanted to do, but had an opportunity to kind of move throughout the business and do a few different things where I found my niche. And what I really enjoyed doing was was working with the people side of the organization. So I started transitioning into HR and really doing some recruiting for the industrial engineering teams, as well as the manufacturing teams that I was supporting. Um, and really, really enjoyed the recruiting piece and that human side of, of HR. Um, so I started to make a slow transition into the HR space in the next few years. But 
if you look at my resume, you'll see that I've kind of jumped back and forth between um, operations and manufacturing and HR and recruiting. Um, all of those roles, though, provided me with a really great, I think, a unique skill set in being able to understand the, the end user, right? How you get a product from um, the beginning stages from operations and manufacturing to the shelves, right? We've I've, I've worked for companies like Lockheed Martin, where we made Gatling guns, um, the Aegis weapon systems at Lockheed Martin in Morristown, New Jersey, to working for Kimberly Clark, where we made toilet paper. <laughs> so, right. Um, it's been it's been a gamut of uh, products that I've been able to work on and um, and people that I've been able to work with and learn from. Very cool. And uh, I think what I believe they all have in common is a supply chain, right? So have you sort of ported that supply chain experience into your recruiting philosophy? When I think about where I have been the most successful, Erin, is I do have the ability or because of the the roles that I've been in, I've had the ability to be able to, again, right, see a product go from manufacturing, right, where it could have been just a small widget or, you know, in the sense of toilet paper, it starts out as this, it looks like a big soup. And I've seen it be able to go from, you know, this, the beginning stages through the supply chain, you know, through marketing, working with the finance team to ensure, right, that we've got products marketed the right way and, and priced the right way, working with the operations teams, right, to make sure that the equipment that we use to manufacture these products is set up properly. And then, of course, working with our HR teams to make sure that we have people in the right place to support the processes and the systems and the machines. So, yeah, I've, I've had the ability to be able to work throughout the supply chain. And it's given me a really great skill set, like I said, to be able to, you know, understand and be able to look around the corner left to right and be able to see what's coming. Maybe to also measure success, because I know industrial engineers are heavy into the metrics and measurement. Is that is that true? Did it give you kind of a unique perspective on measuring TA? I would say really my experience at Accenture Aaron, that's really where I was able to hone in on metrics and SLA and the importance of telling a story with data and being able to develop trends and really understand, you know, the whys behind why things are happening. You could probably say, right, that my experience up to the point that I started working with Accenture led into, you know, a basic understanding, but certainly my experience in, in uh, the role that I played with Accenture uh, certainly helped me hone in on the ability to be able to, again, develop metrics that are meaningful. I think it's one thing to sit down and think about and talk about metrics that make sense for your teams, but to be able to develop metrics that, again, tell a story that the entire organization can use and help understand that what, what you're doing in your business and why it makes sense and why it's relevant, I think is really key for any leader, especially in, in TA. Yeah. What, what would you say are your main reflections when you think about the difference between your roles in corporate recruiting or leading recruiting on an internal basis versus serving an external client? 
I would certainly say being on the side of serving a client, uh, you know, I would I would think that and I, when I compare it to my experience on the corporate side, I do think and, and probably some of my my colleagues would kill me for saying that. But I do think that there is a stronger accountability Aaron, when there is when you're on the RPO side supporting a client, there's 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 more accountability, right, in terms of your successes and the metrics and how you're performing. The internal corporate teams, um, I think, uh, it's very easy to, you know, sit back and and not take it easy, but certainly I, I think there was a lack of urgency, right? And mm-hmm. ensuring that we were delivering in the best way possible and the most efficient way possible. When you're an RPO provider, that is your bread and butter. And so, you know, if you're not thinking on a daily basis, how you're going to help your client become better and be better, I, you shouldn't be there, Right. <laughs> So I think there's more of an, a sense of urgency when you're on the RPO side, um, serving a client versus being internally. At least that's been my experience. Wow. That's a really interesting insight. Thanks for your honesty. I don't disagree. And I just wonder if it isn't summarized by, let's call it benefit of the doubt. When you're mm-hmm. the internal leader, there is more benefit of the doubt depending on what kind of the delivery the team is is producing versus if you're the RPO provider, nobody's really giving you the benefit of the doubt because they're paying, exactly. you know, literally paying for the services that you're providing and uh, the accountability is there. So, wow, really, really interesting. You know, before we move on to more business topics, um, tell us about your early life. You're a twin, am I right? And, <laughs> I am. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. How, how do you think that affected your worldview and what you do now? So I'm, I'm a fraternal twin, but I am one of four girls. I have two older sisters, and we all could be more different, which I think is a beautiful thing. My uh, parents raised us differently. They never tried to make any of us feel as if we had to be, you know, the same or if one made straight A's, the other had to make straight A's too. They loved each of us where we were, right? They met us where we were and, you know, they helped mold us into you know, the folks that we are today. My twin sister and I, again, couldn't be more different, which is so interesting. If you ever meet her, Erin, and talk to her, you would definitely say, there's no way you guys could be twins. (laughs) We we have very different personalities. She is a very outgoing, extroverted personality, and I'm just the opposite. All right. And uh, I I love that story about how you and your sisters are all different. It's like uh, sort of an early lesson in the strength of differences, right? We, we, we hear a lot about how we need to build teams around us that are filled with people who are different from us, think differently, have different skill sets. And um, maybe without even knowing it, you got that lesson early on. I am truly a believer in building teams, Aaron, that where you know, where it's hard to tell who the leader is, right? I I want everyone on my team to know that they are a leader um, in their own way, whether they have the title, you know, whether their job description spells it out, 
I want them to be leaders so that if I'm out for a week and I'm lucky enough to be able to take a week's PTO, that, you know, folks that normally would come to me or, um, you know, have questions for me, that they can go to someone on my team and they would get the same answer or the same response. I love it. So kind of an exciting development. I have a new sponsor. Big Fish in the Talent Pool podcast is brought to you this month by our buddies at Paradox, makers of the conversational AI assistant, Olivia, that I know you've heard of. And joining me today is Paradox Chief Marketing Officer, Josh Swain. Hey, Josh. Hey there, Aaron. Tell my listeners a little bit more about this Olivia character. I've been a fan for a long time, but not everybody knows about her. So what, how would you describe Olivia and the benefits she brings? Yeah, sure. Like, I think the easiest way to think about her is like uh, the assistant that we have in our pocket every day. We have Siri, we have Alexa in our homes. And those assistants are, are there to help us get things done, whether it's turn lights on or change the temperature or whatever. Olivia is just an assistant for recruiters and recruiting teams and candidates. Um, so if you think about all the the stuff in the recruiting process that nobody really enjoys, you know, whether it's screening resumes or scheduling interviews or, you know, just making sure that candidates are up to speed on what's going on. Olivia can play a really important role there. And she's helping uh, companies like Unilever and CVS Health and McDonald's kind of up and down the, the recruiting chain, get that work done. Wow, very cool. Sounds like I need my own Olivia, actually. So how can our listeners learn more? Sure. Yeah. The easiest way is just to go to our website, paradox.ai. But we actually built a a little custom experience for your listeners too. So if anybody wants to try Olivia out and and meet her for themselves, they can text big fish, all one word to 25,000 on their smartphone and Olivia will respond and you can can get a sense of what she can do. All right, Josh. I am so excited for that. And uh, thanks very much for your partnership. And we'll talk to you next week. Of course, Aaron. Thank you. I'd love to know what your view of the right strategy to pursue is in these really interesting times around digitization, humanization, diversity, candidate experience, you know, kind of mix it all up into a soup and tell me wh- what you're focusing on these days of of all that or or maybe something completely different. Yeah, it is. It is. um, And I'm sure folks right in other industries might have a different path or different levers that they're pulling to 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 be successful. But I know for the industry that I'm in right now, we are, again, competing against um, some really big players and folks who are seeking out the same type of talent. And so we again, we've got a long way to go. We've got some work to do. Aaron to ensure that our social media branding is up to par and where it needs to be, because that is very important. I know as a candidate, the first thing most people do is they go to Glassdoor, right? Or they want to look you up on Facebook or or LinkedIn and see, you know, how much traction you have on your media site. So we've got a lot of work to do when it comes to um, social media branding, our employee employer branding. We are working through this year, really trying to decide on what what that's going to look like for us. Um, you know, from a recruiting perspective, we are we're doing everything right now that we can. We're being very aggressive because of the fact that we are are doing so much hiring, and so we've got. 
we've got a footprint on, you know, LinkedIn. We've got a footprint on, you know, our, our careers webpage. We are doing a lot of networking right now. Our leaders are, are just as engaged in recruiting as well. We have made, you know, our managers honorary recruiters. <laughs> We are pulling in, you know, everyone we can at this point and helping everyone understand, right, that recruiting isn't just a just talent acquisitions job. It is it is all of our jobs, right, to make sure that we're getting the right talent in the door. And it's been so awesome to see um, the strides that we've made and the progress that we've made from truly, I, from my perspective, not really understanding the type of profiles that we need. We've started to develop behaviors, right, that we think will be um, necessary for people to be successful in certain roles. We're starting to think about uh, talent of the future and what that looks like. We're starting to think about a build strategy versus going to market every time we have someone, what that Mm -hmm. looks like. Um, So we are really starting to think about the future and how we're going to get the right talent the first time in the door. Right. So then it's really about hiring potential and training, getting them certified, putting them through industry-specific certification. Is that right? Well, so the folks that we hire, not all of them need certifications, but certainly building out training programs, Aaron, that will teach them to do it the way that OSN, right, does it. And then, you know, at the same time, making sure that we are, you know, we're building leaders as well. So we've got a learning and development director who has made tremendous progress in the past year and a half. And she and her team are really working on, uh, again, what that's going to look like six months, nine months, a year from now. We haven't always been in a position to have those types of discussions, but with her guidance and leadership, we are definitely going down the right path. Very cool. And really building for the future as opposed to just uh, filling roles as they come up. So uh, a a truly strategic roadmap. Any new technologies in talent acquisition that you like? Anything you guys are considering or have already made a decision to implement? Yeah, I, I don't I don't think we're I certainly wouldn't say that we're on the leading edge of technology in any way. We have engaged um, an outside firm that has helped us do more recruiting for those specific roles that I mentioned earlier. Um, and they're very focused on using text recruit, which I know has been around for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think with the types of folks that we hire. Uh, frequently, they are production related. And so typically these folks cannot pick up their phone, right, while they're at work, but they can certainly typically answer a text. So we do find that we are getting more responses from candidates via text (laughs) versus the old, you know, pick up the phone and let me call a candidate and hopefully they'll pick up and I can, you know, build a relationship with them that way. But we are starting to see where text recruit 
um, is helping us to engage candidates even more, whether it's on the front end and trying to set up interviews Mm -hmm. or it's a simple confirmation of an interview. They are definitely responding to to text more so than phone calls and and emails. Yeah, I think uh, especially for your population, that makes a whole lot of sense to me. And, um, you know, even some of the more advanced you know, conversational AI where you've got a, you know, an actual avatar that's kind of acting as your front person. Really exciting times, I think, especially for our uh, hourly and even entry-level professional roles or even more advanced professional roles. I think it's, it's an untapped resource. It is. And I think there's definitely some, some opportunity for us to figure out how AI can help us more, Erin. You know, I, I, I do believe and feel that the candidates, um, you know, that we engage with and interact with, they they still want to have some human interaction. So I think the AI capability is great. You've just got to figure out, right, where it makes sense for your process. I could certainly see if if we were a company where we were receiving, you know, a thousand resumes a day or a week, where AI on the front end helping to screen out some of those resumes would be helpful. Um, but because the skill set that we look for, again, in those three primary roles that we frequently recruit for, I'm concerned that AI would skip over <laughs> candidates that maybe they don't check all the boxes, but because we know the skill that we need, right, we can look through the resume and understand how some of that experience may translate into what we need. So again, I think it, it will help us going forward. We've just, we've just got to figure out where, where we can get AI in the process to help us be a more efficient. Good. So, so it sounds like you're in the camp that still kind of needs convincing that AI can do as good a job as the the human, the I human do. brain. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yes. Good. All right. Well, <laughs> cautiously optimistic. Then I'll call her you on that regard. <laughs> it makes sense. So I usually like to ask my guests on a personal level: Is there a major learning, maybe even a mistake that you've made in your career? Something you look back on and go. Ugh, I wish I'd done that differently, you know, that you really, really learned from. Have you got one of those um, sort of oh boy moments? Yeah, you know, I would say for me, Aaron, it was, and it wasn't, you know, making a mistake per se, but it was really not establishing a support system, right, of colleagues or mentors or, you know, folks that I could pick up the phone and call and maybe talk through whatever was going on at that in that moment, not developing that early on in my career. I have certainly uh, been privileged, I'd say in the last five to 10 years where I've developed a network of people that I can do that with. But early, earlier on in my career, I did not seek that out. Um, and I do think it's a personal responsibility, right, that we have to seek out those people who we trust, you know, that will give us the honest truth and maybe not always talk, right? You just want someone to listen. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I'm just curious, as you reflect, what do you think that was about? What is, Was it about your more introverted personality? Was it about not really wanting to ask for help? What how, how do you view that? It's a little bit of everything, Erin. I am, uh, I think as women, 
right? We tend to think that, you know, when you ask for help, it is a sign of weakness. And so for me, I you know had to make some decisions years ago, early on when I started to have um, a family. I have a daughter who is now uh, 15, but I had to make some, some decisions early on. Her dad was traveling a lot. And so someone had to be around for this kid. And so while I wanted a career, you know, the whole guilty mom feelings came about very quickly. Um, and so yeah. I, I made the decision to stay at home. And of course, now in hindsight, absolutely feel very privileged um, and blessed that I could do that. But in the in the moment, Aaron, it didn't feel good. I, I was not happy about it. <laughs> And felt like it was going to, you know, stump my growth and, and, and um, you know, put my career on pause, which it did. But it's, I realize now it's all OK. But if I had had someone in the moment, right, that could have helped me think through why the importance of my family at that time and for my own personal situation, it was the right thing to do. I don't think I would have agonized over it for as long as I did. And I agonized for years about it. So wow. I, I would suggest to anyone who is, you know, uh, early in their career and really starting to think about whether it's a professional move or a professional decision, personal, whatever, seek out those people that you trust that you, you know, wouldn't mind sharing your own, you know, personal, professional challenges and get some advice. It's okay, right? It's okay to say, hey, I need some help. I need some advice. It is not a sign of weakness. But I think as women, right, we, we tend to do that to ourselves. Mm, wow. That is, that is so right on. And it's one of life's upside down truths, right? It's, it's a lie we tell ourselves that if I ask for help, I'm, I'm weak. And yet if someone else comes to us for help, we think, wow, good for them. Right. You no, know? <laughs> we don't apply the same grace to ourselves as we do to other people. So, um, wow, terrific, terrific advice. And especially for those young leaders out there or aspiring leaders, I think I really hope they hear your words of wisdom because that is, that could be the key to their own ability to, to catapult themselves beyond where they are at the moment, or, you know, even if they take a break, uh, men or women, it doesn't matter if you take a break in order to care for someone else. I mean, that is to be applauded and certainly doesn't have to be something that holds you back. And yet what you're saying is make sure you have some folks to talk to in the process. Surround Absolutely. yourself with, with, with friends and wisdom. I love it. All right. Well, we're almost out of time. You have been so gracious with uh, you, your your experiences and your insights. Thank you so much, Tina. Is there anything else you'd like future recruiting leaders to know about what it's really like to stand in your shoes? What What kind of parting thoughts do you have or advice for them? Especially, you know, today with uh, everything that is going on in the world and everybody's, you know, working for, from home. You know, I would say, and I, I just had this conversation with my team the other day. We're all working so hard right now to, to meet our targets and, and, and meet the demand that we have in front of us. But I don't think any of us have taken any time off, um, Aaron here in the last probably 60 to 90 days and, you know, we we had a call that we has we we've got set and scheduled. Um, we meet every day um, in the morning to kind of get our day started. 
And typically we get started right away with, you know, business, what's going on, how many offers do we have, who's got obstacles, who, you know, who has challenges. And I said, we're not talking about any of that today. (laughs) We're just going to take a minute, see how everybody's doing. Let's just check in, make sure everybody's, you know, doing okay. And, you know, if we need to, um, you know, does anybody need to take some time off? I mean, it's, it's all about checking in at this point. And I have to admit, I haven't been great at that um, in the past few months because we've been going at breakneck speed, but just taking the time to check in with your folks, the people on your team and make sure that they're doing okay. You know, being at home for some people is, is challenging. Um, I know at first when we sent everyone home last year, I thought, great, I'll I'll get to work from home and this will be exciting. And, you know, by about July, Erin, I was ready to pull my hair out. (laughs) (laughs) You may not be able to solve all their problems, but just the fact that you ask, um, I think could be could be very, very helpful. Wow, I completely agree. And good for you for sort of leading in that regard. It sounds like, I mean, that's that's a completely consistent point of view with the brand and the culture at OS National as well, right? Caring about people, providing a good experience, being personal, being human. Uh, that's, uh, it's just a beautiful thing. I actually have a client who starts the weekly uh, leadership meetings, it's a small meeting, so just with with direct reports, with uh, gre- red, yellow, green. So everybody goes around and says, I'm, I'm uh, it, where I am on task, people, and self. So it's, it's a quick check-in and a, a, almost a, um, a nice uh, format to be able to just kind of think about, am I red, yellow, or green personally? Am I red, yellow, or green on tasks? And what about my relationships? And typically that means relationships with leaders and those who we need to have help getting our work done. So I, I love that format. And I do too. If that helps you to have, you know, that to be able to make it a, a standing opportunity for people to check in with each other, um, you can have it for free. That is that is a great idea. I will have to incorporate that into our daily meetings. Yeah, I've, I'm, I learn all the time from my clients, so that's a that's a shameless steal from one of them, and uh, just great, great people. So, well, um, I'll take good. it. Thank you. All right, awesome. Well, Tina, good luck on everything. All of your big challenges coming up in 2021. Here's hoping that um, y- your demand will only increase, and that your ability to fulfill it will increase even more. Thanks again. Love Thank to talk you, to you, Aaron. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ERE.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Aaron directly at E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com. You can also follow Aaron on Twitter at Aaron McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn, and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.